Good Sunday morning, Iowa. It's Dr. Rick Godding. Thank you for spending some time with me here on this, what appears to be the first real week of summer weather. Now, technically, it's not summer yet, but I don't know. I mean, I got in my car and I started sweating immediately, so to me, it's summer. And, uh, and I just can't believe we're four and a half months into the year. It's already a quarter of the way done. Or I'm sorry, a third of the way done. That's my, my math. But yeah, so so here we are going through the year quicker and quicker every year, just like Dad said it would. So my uh, youngest daughter went out to Washington, D.C. with her school, got home last weekend, and... You know, it was uh, it was a good thing for her. She enjoyed it. She went to the Vietnam Veterans Memorial and saw my uncle's name and put her finger on it. I had traced that with my dad a long time ago. Have kind of a Memorial Day story I usually tell about my uncle and and uh, just kind of try to remember him. It's a very interesting story from a different time in this country. But she enjoyed her trip, and and I was. Uh, I was happy to see that she, you know, was remembering Uncle Bobby because, uh, you know, he ended up, he he died in Vietnam. But we'll talk about that on the Memorial Day episode. <laughs> so I thought I might talk a little bit today about how you end up being an orthopedic surgeon from the perspective of, you know, when you go in and see your orthopedic surgeon, how did that person get to where they are? And just sort of the process that that takes. And so I'll, I'll take you through that for me. And um, I'll kind of, as usual, interject some uh, personal anecdotes into it. But So I left for college after my senior year in high school, and I wanted to be in finance. And interesting the way this happened, I, the reason I wanted to be in finance is I lived with my mom when I was young and we really never really had much money. A lot of, you know, a lot of times just really serious money stresses. And then I would go out and visit my dad who was a pilot and he lived in Colorado and, you know, it was a whole different thing. There was always plenty of money at dad's house. And I mean, you know, there was child support and all that stuff too, but it just, it was, a, it was just a, it was interesting living in those two worlds. And I remember being on an airplane once and I saw a, um, magazine, it was business week and there was a, uh, an article. I still remember the title of the article. It said the street is still a Mecca for B school grads. And I said, well, what does that mean? So business school MBAs. Uh, we're talking about the money that they were making. And this was, the, you know, the late 80s, so uh, mid to late 80s. And so I thought, man, I'm going to do that because I'm never going to have to worry about money again. I didn't really want to be a pilot because I always wanted to have a family. And, you know, I never lived with my dad except for just a brief period in college when I was going to University of Colorado for a couple semesters before I went back and graduated from Oklahoma State. So I just didn't like the idea of being gone 
you know, 10 days at a time when your family was home. I just never really thought that that was a great thing, although I thought it was very cool that he was a pilot. And back then, we had, I could go to the airport when I was 18, 19, 20, until I was 21. Really my whole life, but I mean, by myself, I could go to the airport when I was 18 and I had a stack of tickets and I could go to the gate through security without showing anything, get to the gate, write the destination on the ticket and give it to the ticket agent and get on the plane. The problem was at that point, I didn't have any money to go anywhere or anybody else that could fly like that that could go with me. I did a few things. One of my buddies and I, we flew out to Boston and then drove up to uh, Canada where he had spent the previous summer working. And when we went to Prince Edward Island, that was really beautiful. So anyway, so I went off to school and went to Oklahoma State and I had decided I was going to get an MBA afterwards. And I wanted to go to the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania because that was ranked number one. So I was working hard at that. And then this movie came out called Wall Street, the original one, Michael Douglas. Charlie Sheen, and Charlie Sheen is an investment banker, which is particularly what I wanted to do. And I will now, this came out when I was 16, 17. No, it, no, it must have come out my freshman year in college, right? It must have come out in 88, 89, or that's when I saw it. But I saw it in the theater, so it was right in that area. And my dad had been through a strike at United in 1985, and I remember how hard that was on him and what they took from him. And then later on, you know, they went through a restructuring and they they essentially took his entire pension and then he got sent over the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, which is kind of like the FDIC for pensions. And he got really a pittance compared to what he was supposed to get. So in, in the movie... Charlie Sheen's an investment banker, and his dad is a mechanic for an airline. So uh, Michael Douglas was Gordon Gecko, the, you know, heartless, uh, super uber, you know, capitalist that just cared about making money, didn't care what happened. And I, you know, the, the issues that Charlie Sheen had looking at the fact that he was going to be involved in putting his dad out of work and him losing his pension resonated with me so deeply that I said, I just got to do something different. And so I uh, said, well, what can I do? And I said, well, my teachers have been telling me since I was young that I should be a doctor because I had good good test scores and grades and bad handwriting. So, so I looked into it. And I did some volunteering uh, at a hospital when I was, I, I went out to Boulder for a couple semesters because I made a B and I said, oh, I can't have Bs. I got to get get my head straight and go live at home and just knock it out for a couple semesters. And, and then I went back to Oklahoma State and graduated from there after I had done some volunteer work at the hospital. So, so I ended up graduating from Oklahoma State and then I felt like I wanted to go to I said, well, I'm just going to go to the best medical school I could get into. And the two best medical schools I got into was Georgetown and Dartmouth. And I went up to visit Dartmouth, and uh, it was isolated, and it was 40 degrees when I got there. And I said, yeah, maybe not this. And D.C. is in Georgetown. Uh, Georgetown is in D.C. And just a 
phenomenal time to spend your your early 20s in Washington DC it was it was a great time so undergraduate I studied biochemistry and I when I changed from finance I said I went into the advisor and I said what's the number one major that will get me into medical school and the advisor said biochemistry I said okay I'm a biochemistry major so starting uh, my sophomore year I was a biochemistry major and uh, almost had a minor in anthropology because I really liked that. But anyway, so that's the first step in getting into medical school is you, usually it's a science major, but it, as long as you have the pre-medicine requisites, you actually can go to medical school regardless of what your major is. And I think they actually sometimes like to have non-science majors if they're, you know, got super test scores and straight A's and all their pre-med stuff actually had a guy in my medical school class who majored in classical guitar. I said, wow, I wasted all that time on biochemistry. <laughs> Not that I could have studied classical guitar, but I just thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Of course, he wasn't coming out of Oklahoma State. He had gone to an Ivy League school, so I think that probably helped him as well. So after your four years of undergraduate degree, you then go to medical school, which is four years. So medical school is two years of book work and essentially anatomy, physiology, biochemistry, pharmacology, things like that, all of the hard science prerequisites. You actually could be considered to have a, have a master's degree after your second year of medical school. Of course, you wouldn't stop unless you, I don't know, maybe had a life change or something. So after the four years of medical school, you can uh, go and do an orthopedic surgery residency, which is five years. So I was accepted to a uh, orthopedic surgery residency in New York City. And then the way it worked in this, so you have to do five years. The first year is typically general surgery. So you do a general surgery year, and then you go to your orthopedic program, which does not offer general surgery. So most of the time you can do that at the same institution. However, our chairman did not think that the general surgery at our place was a was the right fit for his, I don't know if there was tension between him and the head of general surgery. I don't know what happened, but he said, you got to go find your own internship. So I noticed that there was a... Uh, the way it works is after I had matched into orthopedic surgery, then they said, you need to now match in one year of general surgery. But since I had not, since there was no general surgery to match in, I did what they call the scramble. And so the scramble is you basically get up in the morning on the day after the match and you find the vacant positions and you call, you start calling them and their chairmans are sitting there waiting to answer the phone because there's a list that you get through the medical school and you go into the office and you call. And I noticed that there was a general surgery internship open at the University of Hawaii. And so I called them up and uh, it was a very quick interview. I mean, the guy, George McFeeters was his name. He was the chairman of general surgery at University of Hawaii. And he said, uh, so you graduated from Georgetown, 
and you got into orthopedics and you're looking for a year because your program doesn't have surgery. I said, yeah. And he said, well, you're hired. <laughs> so uh, I didn't have to send him anything. He, he said that, you know, send me the, send me the transcripts we're we're good to go. And so then I spent my one year out in uh internship out in Honolulu, which was just a fantastic and life altering time. I mean, that's what led me to spend my first years, my first 10 years of practice in, on the island of Kauai. Because uh, I had always said, after I did that internship, I said, I'm going back to Hawaii. I love to surf. I love the beach. I love the lifestyle. I said, if I'm single, I'm coming back to Honolulu. If I'm married, I'm going to go to Kauai. Because I had visited Kauai, and it's just a magical place. But there's not a lot of people there. So there weren't a lot of wife prospects. <laughs> so I ended up, when I finished up my residency in New York City, I decided to do a fellowship. And so a fellowship is specialized training if you want to subspecialize in your areas of orthopedics. So I did a, a fellowship. I want to do a fellowship in sports medicine and shoulder and knee surgery, which is basically you know, sports medicine plus a heavy dose of joint replacement of the knee and shoulder. And so I wanted to go to Australia because I had heard that they had great training down there. I knew they had great surf and good beaches. So I went to Australia and because I did not have, so their position opening was in the second half of the year, starting in January. So I didn't have anything to do the first half of the year. So I ended up applying for and getting an, an, a second fellowship in Sydney, Australia in foot and ankle surgery. Now, I don't do much foot and ankle surgery, but I thought, well, I'll learn something. It'll be useful. And gosh, in retrospect, I should have gone and traveled Australia for six months and then started my fellowship. I really think that would have been a better life choice. But we live and we learn. And I didn't really have any money to go traveling on straight out of med school anyway. And I did make at least, you know, some money in my fellowship. So I did two fellowships, six, six months of foot and ankle in Sydney and six months of shoulder and knee surgery in Perth. And so that's essentially the, you know, obviously my path was a little out of the ordinary. And then when I was down in Australia, I found out about this, uh, this opening in Kauai and I called them up and it was kind of the same phone call. I said, uh, listen, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I'm finishing up two fellowships. I love Kauai. I'm, I have a wife, or at that time, a, a fiance who I'm going to bring there. I want to start my family there. I love to surf and play guitar. And they basically said, all right, you're hired. So that was a, it was a pretty good path for me. But essentially, you do four years of a, typically a science undergraduate. And then to do, and we're talking about how you get to be an orthopedic surgery subspecialist. So you can, it's a four years of undergrad, typically a hard science, four years of medical school, one year of internship, four years of orthopedics. Then you're an orthopedic surgeon. Then you can elect to either go do a fellowship or not go do a fellowship. And again, I chose to do that because I really felt like I wanted to really up my game for shoulder and knee surgery. And so that I could, you know, and it really was, I mean, it was the guy that I worked with down there. The practice I worked with down there was the biggest practice in Western Australia. And they did, this guy did 1600 surgeries a year. So on a Friday, 
what would happen is he would come in the room. We'd have two rooms going at this hospital, and he would have about 35 cases on the on the boards to do that day. And he would come in. He would start in one room, and I would start in the other room. And whenever he finished his case, he would come over and basically take the instruments out of my hand and finish the case I was in. And so then he would go back over, and then I would start the next one. And so the way that worked is it really taught me, number one, to move along. And I became super efficient. And also he showed me how to do things at a level that, I mean, you know, 1,600 surgeries a year, and he had been in practice for 12 or 14 years at that point. So he had done, you know, close to 20,000 surgeries. So he had lots of tips and tricks. And I also, that's not even all this operating I did. I did way over 1,000 cases in my fellowship because I would operate with him on Friday and I would operate with another guy on Wednesday, and then I would operate with him on Tuesday, and then sometimes we would come in on Saturday and do some cases. He didn't drag me in too often, but you know, sometimes he would have five or seven ACL reconstructions to do on a Saturday, which is just unbelievable. I mean, those kind of numbers, almost nobody in America does those kind of numbers. But yeah, it was very good training. It was a great life experience for my wife and I. We, uh, we saw a lot of Australia and uh, really a great country and great training. But I just wanted you to to kind of understand when you go see an orthopedic surgeon. So your orthopedic surgeon will have done four years of undergraduate college, four years of medical school, five years of orthopedic surgery training, one of which is usually general surgery followed by four years of orthopedics. And then if they're a subspecialist, they will have done a fellowship. And, you know, that's kind of the overall way mechanistically that it works and I just thought it'd be interesting because I think a lot of people you know you go to the doctor and you well this guy's a or, or woman this this person is a uh, orthopedic surgeon how uh and what does that actually mean how how long does it uh take to get there and you know uh, maybe you have kids or grandkids that are thinking about those kind of things but that's what it is it's a very long road I was 34 when I started my practice so I, this coming year will, next year will be my 20th year of practice. And, uh, uh, yeah. And then all the whole foundation goes all the way back to really undergraduate school, which is where you learned for me at Oklahoma state. What I learned there is that I had to work while everybody else was playing. Now, uh, when I got to Georgetown, my roommates had all gone to, uh, <laughs> Ivy League or Ivy League caliber schools, so they they were on a whole different level. So it took me a while to adjust to that level, but yeah, it's a long road. Uh, so whoever, and then you have to take your board's examination, which is two steps. One step is written right after you finish your residency, and then the second step, two years after you start practice, they will bring in six months worth of your cases. And you present those, and then they'll pick 10 of them, and then you have to bring those in and present them orally in an oral examination, and they can ask you anything, anything. They can ask you the molecular mechanism of the uh, what happens when they irradiate the plastic. They can ask you physics of the metal uh, or the implants. They can ask you physiology of the blood thinning and just all kinds of stuff. But so, yeah, so that's it. Four years of undergrad, four years of medical school, 
one-year fellowship if you decide to do that afterwards and then take your board's examination and then take your second board's examination and that's how you become an orthopedic surgeon. So, very good. Now you know. Uh, And with that, I'll let you go and uh, we'll be back next week and you have a blessed week, Iowa.